0: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best's Directory of
1: Recommended Insurance Attorneys.
0: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brennan Ninnan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Chris Nato, who is a senior associate with the national law firm of Trab Lieberman, Strauss & Shrewsbury, Chris handles complex coverage matters involving general liability, errors and omissions, and excess liability policies. Chris is licensed in both Illinois and Indiana. He is a member of the Chicago Bar Association, the Indiana Bar Association, and the Property Liability Underwriting Society. Chris, we're very pleased to have you with us today.
1: Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Today we're going to speak with Chris about the Seventh Circuit's recent rulings that a primary insurer must provide its insured with independent counsel when there is a potential for an excess verdict and how those rulings impact the way an adjuster handles a claim. Brandon Noonan is going to lead off today with our first question.
1: Chris, why don't you start by telling us a little about the decision in which the Seventh Circuit first came down with this new rule. Sure. The Seventh Circuit found that a uh, primary insurer has to provide independent counsel if there's a potential for an excess verdict in the decision of uh, R.G. Wegman versus Admiral Insurance Company, I'll throw the site out there. It's 629-F3-724. Uh, it's a 2011 case. Uh, and in that case, the uh, primary insurer never informed the insured of the potential for an excess verdict, and then the insured didn't notify its excess carrier until a few days before the trial, uh, and the excess carrier denied coverage because of late notice. Sure enough, there was an excess verdict was entered, and the insured turned around and sued the primary for breaching its duty of good faith and fair dealing. Did the Seventh Circuit find the primary insurer breached its duty of good faith to the insured? Essentially, it did. While it remanded the decision back down in the district court, it laid out a framework for when a primary insurer would be considered to having breached its duties. Interpreting uh, Illinois law, it found that when there's a non-trivial probability of an excess verdict, that's when the uh, conflict arises. And in that case, the conflict arose after the deposition of the plaintiff was taken and the insurer learned of the extent of the damages. There was also a $6 million demand at the time. But again, ultimately, uh, the Seventh Circuit remanded down to the district
0: court. Chris, can you clarify the standard courts would apply to determine whether independent counsel is owed to the insured in these situations?
1: Well, I can try. The Seventh Circuit really didn't provide a clear roadmap on the standard. But basically, I believe it's going to be a negligent standard. In other words, with the information available, what would a reasonable insurer believe at that time? Would it believe that an excess verdict was a real possibility? What's important here is that it doesn't appear that any bad faith is needed, and the insurer doesn't have to prove intent later in a bad faith case. Also, a good faith dispute over the value of the case doesn't appear to be a defense. It's really a broad standard, and while no case has directly addressed it yet, I believe it's going to be continued to be examined and, and probably modified.
0: Have other courts followed the decision in R.G. Wegman?
1: They have. An Indiana district court in uh, Auto Owners Insurance Company versus Lake Erie Land Company applying Indiana law uh, also followed the case. That's a 2013 uh, district court case. As well, more recently, Permapipe versus Liberty uh, Surplus Insurance Company, a 2014 case here in Illinois, also applied it and greatly expanded R.G. Wegman. And really what we're seeing now our insureds are now suing the primary carriers right out of the gates, demanding independent counsel because there may be a potential for an excess verdict. And in both the cases I just mentioned, the courts found that independent counsel was required. What is the current trend in cases applying R.G. Wegman? Are they expanding or limiting the doctrine? Well, Permapipe, the 2014 case, greatly expanded the rule. Essentially what you had in that case was an insured who manufactured um, some pipe something went wrong with it. The University of California purchased the pipes that was defective and then brought a uh, $35 million property damage lawsuit against the insured. The primary insurer withdrew all of its reservations, yet the insured still sued for independent counsel based on this new R.G. Wegman rule. And the court found, based on the pleadings alone, that due to the demand, the insured was entitled to independent counsel. And again, this really expanded R.G. Wegman, because before at least some discovery was required.
0: How should primary insurers respond to the expansion of R.G. Wegman?
1: Well, really, they should probably respond pretty cautiously. What's important to note is that no state court has adopted the rule yet, and generally it's state court that's going to govern in insurance matters. Moreover, while the district court and PermaPipe pipe relied on the pleadings, it kind of took a common-sense approach. You had a $35 million property damage claim, so damages are a little more firm in a property damage case, and you only had a million-dollar primary policy. So, it kind of makes sense that you have a potential for an excess verdict. If the case was just a fender bender that happens to plead an excess of the limits, I don't think that's going to be sufficient to where an independent counsel would be required right off the bat. But really, adjusters should attempt to determine potential exposure as quickly as possible. And more importantly, they should update their exposure analysis regularly, really, as a new discovery comes in, as opposed to waiting until the trial gets closer. Lastly, they should probably consider uh, hiring a monitoring counsel. Because, really, you can't really rely on your defense counsel because, ultimately, he's the one who's going to be conflicted out.
0: Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. That was Chris Nato, Senior Associate with Traub, Lieberman, Strauss & Shrewsbury. Special thanks to Brenda Noonan for our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brenda Noonan, and now this message.